Following up his podcast award-winning 2021 appearance, Brookline's Sultan of Swole, the venerable Tony Gentilcore, is back on the pod. For a more detailed bio, I'd recommend checking out Season 1, Episode 3, where Michelle, Tony, and myself detail the top three exercise concepts we've changed our minds about. As I mentioned in this episode, I got through most boring PT school lectures reading Tony's articles on T-Nation. When I moved to Boston following school, I couldn't have been more stoked to connect with him and would go on to see patients out of his facility for the next couple of years. There are a few voices in this industry that simply have a knack for being incredibly reasonable with their training approach and evolving their model gradually over time. Eric Cressy, Dan John, and Tony are all names that come to mind. So when it comes to having thoughts about the day-to-day realities of training people experiencing persistent pain, I knew Tony would have some fascinating things to say, in addition to a few off-the-cuff 90s movies references. I'm pleased to say he did not disappoint in either regard. In this episode, we get into the concept of training through injury, delineating fitness versus rehab, Tony's trainable menu, lowering pain sensitivity thresholds via lifestyle interventions, the red light, green light system, and a whole host of other topics. As always, if you're liking what Michelle and I are doing here and you haven't, le- and you haven't yet left a review on your podcatcher of choice, please do so. And without further ado, Mr. Tony Gentilcore. I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. Mr. Tony Gentilcore, Hello. welcome to More Train, Less Pain. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Or well, I shouldn't say welcome. I said thank you for having me back. I think I was on season one. Yeah. You were on season, I think you might have been like guest two or three, my man. Oh, okay, yeah. So and we're on season three. So, you know, there's always, like, there's, not that you guys had a sophomore slump, but when I, when I watched a lot of TV and it's usually like, you know, the first season's great. There's a little bit of a drop off on season two and season three, of course, is always, there, there's a comeback. So I'm hoping, at least for me, that that's the case. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sweep season for podcasts. So we wanted yes. to bring on whatever guests for the heavy hitters having back. <laughs> I must say, I do really like being welcomed on my own podcast. I think you're the first yeah. guest. To... Yeah. I, I welcome your welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A beautiful amount of reciprocity. <laughs> no, man, I am, uh, I'm stoked to have you back. I think the first time Michelle and I had you on, it, you know, our focus of our conversation was a little bit more general. I think we mm-hmm. did uh, one of our, like top three lists that I can't. Oh yeah, that's it right. Like, it was like, top, I, 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 sh- I should look back, but um, the focus of this season, I think is especially germane to things that you seem to be particularly good at. Like namely, Jason Moore fight athlete, scenes, you know, like Star Wars, like stuff like obscure that. Obscure comic book references. <laughs> yeah, of course. Sorry, shading, I keep interrupting you. I'm head. sure people are like, get, get to the point, guys. You don't... <laughs> <laughs> no man but we're talking about uh we're talking about persistent pain we're talking yep. about continuing to train with some level of, uh, some level of intensity in the presence of aches pains injuries that may not ever fully resolve and i think i mean i've known you at this point for the better part of a decade mm-hmm. um not to say the entire time i've known you, you you've been injured but it's like most of the years i've known you you've had something that you're working through and sure. most of the years you've known me i've had something that i'm working through and so I think that taking this from kind of how we approach these things from a personal standpoint and then generalizing them to how we think about this when we're designing programs or we're actually, you know, in the gym with clients executing on things. Yeah, that's I mean, that's right up my alley because I am always 
working with a handful of clients who to some capacity or another are dealing with an injury, something that doesn't feel good. Um, but thankfully I, I have clients that recognize the importance of still training through that. Like they're not, they're not, they're not somebody who's going to be like, well, I, I'll see you in a couple weeks when I feel better. Uh, which to me is rarely the answer. I mean, it is sometimes, I mean, I have like, I have a client going in next week for meniscus repair and I had to tell him like, listen, like it's okay to take a week to like chill and like, <laughs> and then you can get back to me. But I, I would be surprised if he last two days before he wants to, to do something. <laughs> and, but that does, I work with a lot of endurance athletes here in Boston. You know, certainly I work with people who are interested in maintaining, if not getting stronger. Uh, so there's, there's always a level of working around for lack of a better term stuff uh, to make sure that they are able to do that. Yeah. And I think to your point, something that's really come up this season is people tend to fall, clients tend to fall in this camp of either they catastrophize and they sure. they, they immediately like shut things down. I'm not going to mm -hmm. touch anything until this pain goes away or they just ignore it entirely. Which is the problem too. Yeah. I, like yeah. I, either, either is a problem. So it's, you know, what, what does the, what does the gray area look like? What does the middle path look like? And I think that's what, that's the direction I want to point us in long-term, but before we get there, I want to mm -hmm. start on a little bit more of a simple note. Tony, tell me about the last workout you did. It was today. I got, actually, uh, I had probably my best squat session in, in several weeks was today. And, and this wasn't because I've of an injury, although I, I was dealing with something that was a bit weird earlier this summer that took me a little a little while to get through. But um, I think this is kind of the, the culmination of a little bit of that, just like getting my groove back. But also I had, I had some uh, international travel uh, recently and it always takes me a week or two to recover from that. Um, but today I was like, I did, I don't know, four sets of seven of squats, nothing crazy. I think I was squatting 300 pounds. You know, I did some snatch grip RDLs with 365 for, you know, eight, 10 reps. Uh, and then I did some single leg hip thrusts from a deficit. I did some calf raises because of my Achilles. I try to, I try to stay on top of doing some calf work or tib work, you know, get or more, more. I, although I'm negligent at working on my dorsiflexion, I need to work on my dorsiflexion more. Uh, with my with my Achilles side. But yeah, that was a pretty standard, simple workout. Like I, my workouts are never anything complex. Like I have a coach that writes my programs, which I'm very grateful for. And, and I, I'm adamant on because I'm the last person I want to write programs for. Um, and working with her the past three years, I'm honestly the strongest I've ever been. Um, before, I mean, before I left for my trip to, to, to Europe, what, three weeks ago, uh, I had a session. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get hit 600 pounds on my deadlift again, just get a good single in. And I got it. Um, and that was the first time pulling 600 since my like low back, whatever it was for, I don't know what happened in the middle of the summer. It was just like some weird SI stuff going on that it, it doesn't happen yearly, but it happens like every now and again. Um, I just think it's kind of the, the, inevitability of when you lift heavy things like you're just not going to be at 100 all the time <laughs> but yeah. uh but i still train through it you know I, I i you know i leaned into this trainable menu idea that i've i've certainly didn't come up with but i but i popularized uh in recent years um and 
yeah, that's my long-winded, boring answer is that squats. I did squats today. <laughs> and some other stuff. And some other stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a, sounds like a nice little leg day. That yeah. sounds like uh take a nap and eat some food. And... Yeah, I gotta go to I gotta go coach later on though. I, I came home and ate lunch and now it's uh I'll I'll be talking to you after this. I'll write a few programs and then it's off the off the coaching land. Never stops, man. No, never. I do something that you mentioned just now, and we were talking a little bit about this uh, before we hit record, but this concept of training through an injury, I'd kind of like to zoom in on that because I, okay. I, I think my only issue there might be a semantic one in that. So when I was running uh, like collegiate track or at subway track, when I lived in Boston, uh, People would use that phrasing quite a bit. And what it meant in that context was almost always, I'm just going to ignore this thing. Yeah. Train through, like make zero adjustments. Just, I am training through. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we said, the opposite of that is almost always a worse situation, which is I'm going to shut everything down. I'm yep. going to shut everything down. What I think you mean is by training through is I'm going to train, but I'm going to make whatever adjustments I need to make to be able to maintain the spirit of the session of the week of the block without exacerbating or with minimally exacerbating symptoms. So I guess my question to you is like, what does this concept of training through mean to you? Yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. Like I, when I say training through, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that I'm gritting my teeth and then just plowing through a workout and getting my squats and deadlifts in anyway. Uh, what I what I mean by that is I'm using modifiable factors to still get a training effect that's still getting me like pointing me toward my goal. Uh, I joke and I keep, but I my goal now as a approaching 47 year old dad uh, is my birthday's in a couple of weeks. I'll be 47. Um, it's just to be the most diesel dad in my kids' elementary school. <laughs> I, I remember when it was daycare. I think I am like I, you know, he's, he's out of daycare now and he's in a, a K through eight school now. And, you know, I drop him off every morning. I pick him up certain days of the week after school. And I, I'm, you know, not that I'm like, you know, eyeballing every dad that walks through, but, uh, or given like the, the like the, you know, I'm not peacocking them where I'm walking my arms <laughs> out, but, um, but I'm pretty sure I'm, uh, I'm, I'm there. Uh, and, but I, I, I've always, I've always liked the, the sense and feeling of being strong and that, and I understand that strong is subjective. Like, um, strong to me is I like the barbell lifts, like call me a meathead or whatever, but I like to squat. I like to deadlift. I, I, I tolerate bench pressing in the sense that that's, I'm not good at it, but I, I do it. <laughs> uh, and that's generally how my training consists of, like, I've never competed in powerlifting. I've never had any interest competing in powerlifting, um, but I've been around that community quite a bit in my my professional career and as a coach myself. So when I say training through an injury, so what what whatever if, whether it's a shoulder, a knee, a low back, to me personally, it is a modif like I'm modifying my workout. I'm mod I'm still trying to squat, trying to de or hinge and deadlift, or trying to load the movement as best I can where I'm not hitting a certain pain threshold or I'm not making things worse, but I'm still getting a training effect. Um, you know, when I'm doing this, using that same principle toward my clients, 
you know, I, none of my clients are competing in powerlifting and they certainly are not deadlifting 600 pounds, et cetera. But it, I, I tend to use the same protocol with them where it's like, okay, well, what can we do, you know, with, with your session that's still going to get you a training effect, uh, whether it is using a modifiable factor. So maybe they, today is squat day for that person. It's like, well, what version of a squat can we do that can, that you won't piss your knee off or won't piss your lower back off? And a modifiable factor could be as simple as, you know, limiting the the amount of range of motion. So instead of squatting all the way down that their range of motion allows, we might squat to a box that limits their range of motion. It might be altering their stance. Maybe they have to go a little bit wider to make it more of a vertical shin angle. Who knows? So we're just trying to find uh, something that still allows them to do the movement, but without making things worse or without exacerbating any, any symptoms or issues. Um, you know, certainly it isn't always just modifiable factors. It's always like, you know, maybe it's a, it's a load or a volume situation. So maybe their program, we were using too much volume. Maybe, maybe the, the, the accumulation of sets and reps the previous weeks, just it got to the point where they just couldn't handle it. They weren't recovering from it. So, you know, okay, well, let's, 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 ping it back a little bit and whether you want to say it's 10%, 15%, whatever. Um, and, and to a, to a, a threshold where it, they don't get above that. So they, 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 they're still getting again, that training effect, but without accumulating a, a metric shit ton of fatigue and, um, and not being able to recover from that. So I, I think that answers your question. Um, and certainly that's, there's more to it than that, but that one, but when I say training through, that's generally what I'm alluding to. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm just curious here. And of course there's a little bit of selection bias on my end. Cause I'm a physical therapist that does strength conditioning coaching. So it's like mm-hmm. people usually come and see me as a physical therapy client first, mm-hmm. but I, I know for me specifically, it's like, uh, with like, I have to write a bunch of programs later today. And it's like, what percentage of my clients have a thing going on at any time? And it's, it's probably like 90%, you know? Yeah. I start, man, I started thinking about that recently. Like I've had, I don't know if it's like something in the water uh, or it's that time of year, but I, I, I you know, I have a, a, a litany of my clients currently, you know, a, you know, frozen shoulder, their knee, their low back, their hip. And I'm just, man, is it me? Is it my programming? Like, what am <laughs> I doing wrong? Like, am I, am I like crushing them without knowing it? Uh, right. but I have to remember too, I have, I have a very active client base. Like I have clients that, yeah, they're training with me once, twice, maybe three times a week. And if they're not training with me, they're, they're following a program that I'm writing. But they're on top of that, they're also preparing for the Boston Marathon or preparing for this whatever. And then, you know, or playing recreational whatever, pickleball or or basketball or whatever. Tickle fights. Um, or tickle fights, exactly. And so I, I have to remember that, you know, life... To me, no, very rarely does anyone get through life who lives an active lifestyle doesn't have some form of, I call niggles, like they're not injured, like they didn't like rupture their Achilles, like I did a few years ago, or they didn't, you know, break a leg, but they're just, they're just annoying stuff that like, you know, oh, my shoulder doesn't feel great. Like, you know, that type of stuff. I'm always dealing with stuff like that. And to that capacity, yes, I'm on there. Like 90% of my clients are, they're kind of always dealing with something you know, nothing crazy. But, um, but lately, I was like, man, I, I started questioning myself. I was like, man, am I doing something, which, which I think is a good thing to do. Like I, I, some, some coaches wouldn't give two shits about that. They just be like, fuck it. Like, everyone's, we're still going to train. 
you know, I right. think we, we do have to audit ourselves at times, you know, and, and if there is a trend of people consistently like being banged up, um, you know, I, I kind of have to take some responsibility for that. So um, I don't know where I was going with that tangent, but, uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, there's, there's, I guess there's some degree of culpability with, with, with you know, when, when I have a slew of, of clients that are quote unquote injured, but, but at the same time, I can't take it too personally because I think everyone is going <laughs> to have that happen eventually. Like I think anyone who lives an active lifestyle again, it's just the inevitability of it. It's, but how they handle that is where I feel the true, like. We'll be back to the show in just a minute. One of the big themes of this show is the importance of continued development if you're a trainer or therapist. If you listen to Michelle and I, chances are you're not the type of practitioner to take everything they learn during school at face value. You're curious, hungry, driven, and want to be the best you can be for both your clients and yourself. However, Instagram scrolling and taking weekend courses with three-letter acronyms will only take you so far. You need a mentor, someone to help you make sense of what you've learned, the habits you've developed as a practitioner, and where your knowledge or application gaps may be. I can say for certain that I've had the good fortune of standing on the shoulders of some giants in our field, Lance Goyke, Zach Couples, my now co-host Michelle, and Bill Hartman, to name a few. More than explicit knowledge, what I gained is a framework of how to take in new information, process and reflect, and iterate continuously, something that a three-letter acronym course won't be able to teach you. As such, it's my pleasure to act as a mentor for clinicians and trainers that can add more structure to their clinical development. Over the course of four 50-minute-long sessions, we'll dive into your model, poke and prod for areas of cognitive bias, and assemble the scaffolding for shaping your continual development as a clinician. If this sounds like something that'd be of value to you, shoot me a DM at Tim underscore Richart underscore DPT on Instagram and include what you'd like help in making sense of. Now, back to the show. Cool stuff comes into play. Like, you know, for sure. certainly, certainly I don't want them to you know, throw the flag up in the air and be like, okay, again, I'll see you in, in a couple of weeks. I don't want that. And certainly if that's right. their choice and I will respect that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be a bully about it, but you know, I I've certainly convinced many of my clients who, who did take that, that approach to, I pushed back against a little bit, like, listen, like, right. I think you're going to feel better when you come in and move around a little bit. And I think you'll be kind of surprised in how much you actually can do. Um, right. And, and, and yeah, hundred percent of the time that happens <laughs> like yeah uh, no for, for real which, which is which is great because then i not, not that i not that i use it as like an aha moment but i kind of do i'm like ah see i told you like you yeah. feel better don't you like yeah like i don't feel sore like <laughs> my back doesn't hurt as much yeah movement is good like it doesn't right. mean you have to kill yourself but um yeah no, no, I think that's super. Yeah. Remember when, um, this is going to be a rather insensitive comment, but like, remember when mental health became in vogue like five years ago? Yes. Everybody was like, it's okay not to be okay. And everybody yes. all of a sudden had a therapist and everybody was like taking mental health days. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm saying that that is a profoundly positive shift in our society. But I think what Michelle and I are trying to do, especially with this season of More Train Less Pain, is sort of like lead this vanguard of, hey, it's okay if us as physical therapists and coaches and trainers 
have stuff where we don't feel that like have physical stuff where like we don't feel that good it's okay Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we're bad at our job it doesn't mean we're bad we're bad at exercise and by extension it's okay if our client base has stuff and that stuff doesn't and and we don't have the power to 100 fix their stuff it's okay that we have stuff it's okay that they have stuff And if you can actually be at some level of peace with that is how things are to some extent, then you can be in that gray area and you can make useful decisions like all the things that you said in your first answer. It's like, can we modify range of motion? Can we modify load? Can we modify volume? Can we modify, you know, like all of these things that do have some inherent modifiability because I mean, I speak, you know, I I came up a little bit after you. I I came up reading your T Nation articles in physical therapy school, I remember. Um, But there was this big idea of like, you're either injured or you're not, you're hurt or you're not. You know, the tendency was to write a niggle off as nothing because the second you labeled it as an injury, you'd have to sort of like, you know, turn over the entire apple cart in an effort to like, okay, now I'm in like injury management mode and now I'm not an athlete. Yeah. I liken that to the best analogy that I have for that is that I don't know if you, I'm sure you might know it, but the, the movie, the program, uh, oh. it's a, it's a, it's a football movie from the early nineties. I think it came out like 1992. It has James Conn as the coach. Okay. Omar Epps is the, is the, the hot shot freshman running back. And there's a point in the movie where that character, Omar Epps is like, they're, they're in practice and he falls to the ground and he's laying there and, the coach comes up to me and says, are you hurt or are you injured? And the, and the, and the player's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, if you're injured, if well, if you're hurt, then, you know, you can't play. But if you're injured, like, let's go. <laughs> and right, you know, right. not that I'm that hardcore with my clients. I'm certainly not that hardcore with my clients. But but there, I, I, that is kind of a little bit how I, I, I approach it. Like, I, I have this conversation of, you know, and I think you and I have discussed it. I know I've discussed it with Michelle's of paying thresholds. Um, I am in no way an expert on the psychology nor uh, the neurology. Uh, I think that's the appropriate term of pain science. Like I'm not well abreast on that research. However, I've been in the game long enough and I've been around people who are smarter than me long enough to know that, uh, you know, pain again is, is, a, is a continuum. And some people ha- can tolerate a lot more pain than others. And there's always going to be a constant conversation or communication on that. And, you know, and the easiest way I've always explained it is one to 10 is the, is the spectrum. 10 being the worst pain imaginable. And one being like, ah, eh, not a big deal. I think the industry viewpoint is that anything, uh, over a three or a four would be like a red light situation. Um, my my friends and colleagues of mine at, at Back Bay Health and um, Tim and Laura Latham, they used the green light, red light analogy. Um, anytime an exercise or a session gets above a three or a four on the pain threshold, that is a red light. That means we need to stop, we need to modify, we need to have, we need to have further intervention. If it doesn't get above that, a three or a four, then we're in green light territory. We're, we're, we're more than likely safe. We're not going to cause any any more harm or any more injury. But we're still we're still creating fitness and resilience and 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 you know we're we're leaning into Davis's law and and to and to the other law for some reason I can't Wolf's. remember it. Wolf's law. Thank you. Um, you know which both laws dictate. Wolf's law is about bone adapting to 
you know, load and, 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 and gaining strength there. And, and Davis's law is more with soft tissue. So tendons, ligaments, muscle, et cetera. Um, and, you know, so long, you know, I'm always with my, with my current clients who I know are dealing with some form of injury during their session, I'm always asking them, okay, how's that feel? Like, are, are we above a three or a four? Are we, you know, how are we and during the session, immediately after a session, the day after a session, I'm having these conversations with them. And if they, if they tell me that it's not, then, okay, we're good to go. We'll progress accordingly. But if they, if they come to me and be like, man, I was, I could not, my, my shoulder was bothering me last night. I couldn't sleep or, you know, this, or I can see on their face, like they'll, they'll wince. And I'm like, okay, I saw that. Like, right. <laughs> like, that obviously is affecting you. Let, let's try this instead. You know, then that that's my job as the coach. And I think, you know, if I'm doing that, then I'm, I'm probably doing more than most coaches anyway. If I'm, if I'm just able to modify an exercise and, you know, and take their cues and, and making something feel less painful. Um, I think that's important. That's an important win. Uh, I think that's an important psychological win because if, if you can prove to your clients that they can train and that the objective is not to avoid pain altogether, like it, it shouldn't be a zero. I think right. that's the important message is like, listen, my goal with you is not to get to, is not to avoid pain at all costs. Like I, I, in a perfect role, I would love that to be the case. But if you're, if you're, if someone is currently symptomatic and whatever part of their body we're talking about, it's going to be impossible for me to keep them at a zero and, and to have them move. And not only that load it. So it's also not your job. It's not my job. And like, and that's important too. Like I'm, I'm not diagnosing anything. I am not like, I can look at movement and like, okay, your hinge hurts. Let's try this. Like your squat hurts your knee. Let's try this. Um, you know, if, if, if after my rule with my clients is if after two months of what I would deem structured, well-organized, properly progressed strength training, if that doesn't alleviate or improve their symptoms, I'm going to refer them out to someone who, who has a keener eye on movement and can, and can actually diagnose something, you know, and that's where I, when you were in town, I would, I would refer them to you. Like I have, I have, um, you know, I send people to champion physical therapy and performance out in Waltham, which is Mike Reinold and that crew. Um, and I, and Dan Pope is my guy there. He's, he's, he's generally the guy that I, that I work with. He's amazing. Um, and he always has the same conversations with them. So I know, I know the client is getting the same message from both ends. Like they're getting it from him because he, like you, is a physical therapist that incorporates strength and conditioning as part of physical therapy, which I think is very, very, very important. It isn't like, I'm going to lay you on your back. We're going to do some ultrasound and then we're right. going to do some cute little band exercises and you're going to be on your way. No, fuck that. We need, we need, we need more than that. So, yeah, yeah. and that's why I like Dan and you know, he's, he's going to give me some feedback. Like he, we have a Google drive that we share and he'll, he'll send me the notes on that, that client. They need more of this in their strength work. This is their daily work, less of this. And that, that is super helpful for me. Like that's only going to help me. Uh, be a better coach and, 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 and to better serve my client. Yeah, no, I, I, Dan Pope's such a good dude. Him and I share a uh, common mentor, uh, Aileen out here in Denver, actually. Oh no, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I, when I first moved to Boston in 2018, I, uh, you were one of the first people I reached out to, but then um, I talked to Dan quite a bit. Yeah. Dan's a good dude. But um, there's a couple things that came to mind as you were talking there. One that I do want to zoom in on slightly, because this is something that Michelle and I've talked about quite a bit. This notion of, so I, I think it's 
I think it's really, really good practice for trainers and for physical therapists to ask how a client feels at the end of a session and the Mm -hmm. next day. Mm -hmm. Because I think more often than not with gen pop clients, what we're fighting is people that just don't like to be in their own bodies, like they don't have awareness. But I think kind of the flip side of that token, at least what I've seen working with clients is if I'm if if a client is like, you know, rep six of a 10 rep set of squats, and I'm like, does your knee feel okay? Does your knee feel okay? Does your, then they're thinking about the one thing that I don't want them thinking about. Yeah. Like I'm cueing fair pressure, point. I'm cueing breathing, I'm cueing tension. Yep. And I think that it's it's one of those things where it's like when, and this is why it's really helpful for coaches to have coaches, because when I'm executing stuff with my own training, I don't want to be thinking about like positions and stuff. I just kind of yep. want to be doing the thing. And so I think w- with me, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, but with me, when I'm, when, when I'm more on the fitness side of things, it's like as a person's executing something, I just want a person to be executing that thing to the best of their ability. And, and the cues that I'm giving them have more to do with the successful performing of that exercise as opposed to like, hey, let's do this in a way that doesn't aggravate your knee. Which is this like subtle yet really dramatic frame shift of like, I don't need your fitness stuff to make you feel better. I don't even need your fitness stuff to make your knee to to not exacerbate your knee at all. To your point, it's like, I'm kind of okay if your fitness stuff one out of 10 exacerbates your knee, but we're still getting this training effect. We're still getting this fitness effect that when we compound puts you in a much, much better place in terms of, you know, your physical ability, your movement profile, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think you put it in a lovely way. You did a nice little reframe there where you said, you know, the last thing a client wants to hear during your set is, does your knee feel okay? Does your knee feel okay? Yeah. And I think subconsciously, if you're not doing that as a coach or as a physical therapist and you're, you're just showing, okay, here's the exercise we're doing, you're going to do it. And they just do it. I think subconsciously and psychologically, you're kind of just, like um empowering the client and you're empowering the patient because they're like well if he thinks i can do it and he doesn't think i'm going to hurt myself then i'm just going to do it right Uh, so i think there's some value in that uh if if as coaches if we if we're if we're spend more time just coaching the movement rather than worrying about okay are are you at a three are you at a three or at a three i think that's a valid point that you make um you know i didn't i i I say it's a powerful reframe because i i have to say like I'm not that coach that's like asking them every, every two reps. No. Like, okay, how's it yeah, feel? Yeah. But I mean, sometimes you do it. I mean, I, this right. isn't to say that it doesn't happen and you're, you're, you're doing it for a, a, a reasonable reason, but yeah. I think there's a lot of power in, you know, just kind of like staying the course and like acting like you've been there before. And if you just tell a client like, Hey, this is the exercise we're going to do. And you hand them the weight and they do it you know, I think subconsciously that's a powerful tool because then, then they're not really thinking about how much something hurts and they're doing the exercise and they're going to feel good. And we, we all know the yeah. movement is good. And um, so I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great point that you make. And especially for those clients that tend to like, I, I, I have a few on my caseload right now where it's like they walk in and, you know, I, I usually try to start with like, how's life? Like, how's the, you know, like give me sure. something that isn't your exact complaint. And they're, they're immediately, they like blow past that question. They're like pointing to this exact spot in their knee and they're like, it hurts there. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I got, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's one of those, I, I feel like with that person, it's almost this delicate dance of like, as they do things afterwards, I'm really careful to, to ask mainly to not, not necessarily because I care that much, but like, I want them to know that I hear them 
when they're coming in and they're like, this is the thing that's really bugging me. Yeah. I think um, what you hit on is, is Boyle's popular saying, Mike Boyle, is uh-huh. like, no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. Right. So I think, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think you hit on a point too. This, this would be a good talking point here. It's like when I have, say, a newer client who, ha- who has not been working with me for a while and they are coming in because they're referred from a physical therapist or maybe a friend of theirs or a family member referred them to me uh, because they've been dealing with a, a, a chronic low back issue or a chronic shoulder issue that they just haven't been able to, to solve. You know, and, and I know they're in their own head and they're reticent to exercise and they're kind of fearful of getting, of like strength training, you know, they feel like, Oh, I'm not a power. I'm like strength training is not powerlifting. It's just, let's, right. let's be clear. Right. And, you know, and I'll bring with, I find it helpful when, when I have an individual like this to use the cup analogy where, and I got this from Michael Nash at Barbell Rehab, who's, who's very good. Um, you, you have to understand that pain uh, has a multitude of, of, branches or or factors like you know there's life stress there's sleep quality there's hydration there's joint actions there's a lot of other things that come into play of why a certain area of the body hurts and i I often tell people like this cup is full like you have all these other attributes that that could be causing your pain could not be but the the key here there's two things to address their pain is, is education is educating them on the importance of sleep quality and you know, joint movement, maybe, or anxiety or uh, nutrition, you know, okay, well, maybe you're just eating an awful diet, and you're kind of playing into things. And so there's always going to be an educational component there of like, not just addressing, okay, x exercise hurts me, but okay, there could be other factors that are there in making this uh, an issue, which is why education is important. Uh, and the other one is like, and and because of that, their cup is full. So of course they're like, oh, I'm always hurt. Well, because they're not addressing any of these these other things. So education is right. important. The other way to approach it is if that cup is so full of all this other shit, then let's make the cup bigger with strength training so we dissipate the effect of all that other stuff. So then you know we blunt it, so to speak. So if I make their cup bigger, right. that means I could put more stuff into the cup, and and we dissipate all the other stuff that could be exacerbating their issues, you know, and and I'll put, I'll I'll draw a cup on a whiteboard and I'll say, here's your cup. And here's all this other stuff that could be causing your pain. Your cup is full and it's small. It's a small cup. We, We don't, we can't put anything more into there, but if I make your cup bigger, not only do I dissipate all the sleep quality and the joint loading and all these other things that be, that be causing your pain, but we can put more strength and strength and, 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 and fitness qualities into that cup, get you a little bit stronger. Uh, and that's a good thing. And that's going to help you address your pain. Um, I, we might not take it away entirely, but I, I have to assume we're going to see some f- sort of improvement. And I, I hopefully I made sense of my explanation there. Um, but when I, when I use, when I draw that cup on the, on a whiteboard and I explain it that way, I do kind of see a light bulb go off and they're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like I never thought that my, my sleep patterns could be, you know, making me feel worse. I was like, yeah, like, of course, <laughs> like, or I never right. thought, I never thought that job stress could be making me feel, feel worse. I like, yeah, of course. You know, my wife who's a psychologist, she'll call it of coursing people. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I always say, of course, of course, I never, I never try to downplay anyone's feelings or anyone's like rash or train of thought. For I'll sure. be like, you know, of course you're stressed because you have a, a, you know, a job that you're working 12 hours a day and then you have two kids at home and, you know, you have, you have family obligations. Of course, that's stressful. Like I get it. L- let's try to figure out a way to address it. And, you know, you know, I'm not someone's like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, oh, I'm, how well, that's not stressful. Like that'd be the worst thing to say. So, right. you know, I, I, I always like up to, of course, my people, like, of course you love to eat pizza on a Friday night and Saturday night and, and Sunday night during football. <laughs> it, it, pizza's delicious. Like I eat pizza. I love it. But let's, let's try to come up with some other strategies to help improve your nutritional profile to maybe down, down regulate your, your, your inflammation. And maybe, maybe that will be an approach that will help. Um, yeah. And I think that's important. That's an important approach. So it isn't always the obvious thing. It isn't always like the exercise or, or sets and reps. It could be other life factors that are coming into play. And so using that a cup analogy, I find is very important because then it says, okay, there's other stuff you need to address, but also like getting stronger is going to help because <laughs> it's going to help you tolerate those stressors even, even more. Yeah, I think that uh, the the cup analogy is a really good one. I think I probably first heard it from you. It certainly seems that there are a few things that everybody can agree on makes the cup bigger. Like I, I kind of was writing them down as you were talking, like sleep, a reasonable diet, managing stress, having adequate social support, and probably an adequate aerobic base would be the only yeah. other thing that I would add in where it's yeah. like, I do, I do think mechanistically with each of those things, it's sort of semantics, whether we're making the cup bigger or whether we're decreasing the level of water in the cup. But I think th- those are sort of the home run things. And then it gets to this really interesting place where it's like, if they're not doing anything, and I love what you said about strength training is not powerlifting because I, I would push back against this notion of like, if a person comes in hurt and then they do a bunch of powerlifting style training, like, I'm not sure if that's making the cup bigger. Like that, I, I don't know. That might be like yeah. pouring gasoline on the fire. But I think that if a person's doing really no physical practice, like no movement practice, and you even get them doing, you know, some body weight box squats, some planks, some hanging from a bar, like yeah. just a like baseline body weight movement practice does seem to be one of the most effective ways for, in my opinion, ma- making the cup bigger. Mm-hmm. And then this, like the the powerlifting style stuff. And this is kind of something I wanted to mention because you, you like the barbell and it's totally fine that you like, like Michelle and I just spend this entire podcast talking shit about the barbell. And it's like, (laughs) it's well, no, but like, it's, it's great that you like, like, okay. I've worked with a lot of runners, like way more runners than powerlifters. Cause like, like attracts like, and I'm, you know, 160 pounds soaking wet. Like I'm not, I'm not pulling powerlifters, but like, I love that my people love to run. Running is not going to help their movement profile. Like running is not going to give them ranges of motion back. Running is not going to make them feel less tense. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way about powerlifting where it's like powerlifting is like so cool. Like it's so, and in terms of its ability to inspire confidence in the fact that like people can like lift heavy stuff, I think that's great. But I think that the second we venture past a certain amount of load, we just have to call a spade a spade and say like, we're getting stronger and getting stronger is really, really cool. Yeah. There will be I don't some- care. Really, I think the goal, I don't care how they're getting stronger. Like whether yeah. it's a barbell, body weight, kettlebells, dumbbells, right. I, I don't care. Like I use them all. Um, yeah. But like I, my goal is, is to get them stronger to some capacity. Like are, can they do 
more body weight squats now than they did right. three months ago. And now, now can they load it? Yeah. But like that, that's where I'm at. And I think you agree with me. Like it's not for sure. You know, yes, I like the barbell, but you know, I have, I have a, a, a many clients that don't touch a straight bar, don't touch a straight barbell. Like they're they're right. they do nothing but trap bar and dumbbells. That's it. And yeah, cool. <laughs> like and hip thrusts and like I, I and, <laughs> and jungle gym stuff. And, you know, like I like I'm not I know my limitations as a coach. Like I don't do the Olympic lifts because I've never done them myself. I'm not confident in them. I don't do gymnastic stuff like handstand push ups or ring ring, whatever. Like I don't do any of that because I'm not competent. You know, I'll point I'll point my clients into the directions of people who are competent in that. If that's what their interests right. are. But um, I think at the end of the day, we agree that strength training isn't powerlifting. It could be it could be many it could be myriad of things. But as long right. as we are doing more work, uh, and 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 further to that point, as long as we are like gravitating to loading that movement, um. I think we're doing good things. Yeah, no, very well yeah. said. I think that in my older age, I've become just kind of like a professional fence sitter. And I think <laughs> if I'm sitting on this particular fence, it's like there's one camp that is something to the effect of if you're, if you're not doing barbell movements, then what are you even doing? You know, yeah, it's like yeah. that is that is what strength training looks like. Everything should be. Uh, if a person can't do them, it's like it, we should be bending their arc so that they're eventually going in that direction. And mm. then there's this other camp, which I think I, I certainly fell prey to a few years ago, which is kind of like comes from almost like a PRI-ish lens where it's just like everything needs to be gait, everything needs to be breathing, everything needs to be asymmetrical. Yeah, And we're never actually like pushing load on stuff. And, yeah. I, I, you know, you have to realize the benefits and drawbacks of of each of those approaches and I even kind of think like I, I mentioned before when you were talking about like assessing pain and I was like, I don't, I don't really think that's your job. I, I want to clarify. I don't mean you specifically or even trainers. Like I think, I think it's the job of fitness to do fitness. And mm -hmm. I think it's the job of like movement, physical therapy, range of like whatever you want to call that type of work to do that kind of work. And you can have interventions from each camp in the same program. But I think that when a person's doing a thing is like, is this a fitness thing where I'm going to want you to be a lot less like in your prefrontal cortex? Like I want you to try hard if it's a fitness thing. And if it's not a fitness thing, then we're not going to worry about loading it. Like we just need to execute it in a, in a specific way. And I think I've certainly found a lot more success having a little bit more of a polarized approach as opposed to, you know, four or five years ago, I think I would have been the one loading like a rear, like a, like a staggered rear foot dumbbell RDL or something like that, where it's just like, no, this is a movement exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the PT world, I think at the end of the day, like it's important for there there's, we have to know our roles, you know, certainly uh, again, I, as a, as a lowly meathead strength coach, I'm not, I'm not diagnosing jack shit. Um, but I mean, I have been coaching since 2002. I've coached a lot of people. Uh, I can, I can gauge and uh, analyze movement. Like I'm not, I'm not doing gait analysis and I'm not, you know, my, my, my assessment process is so much more expedited now than it was, five, 10, 15 years ago <laughs> that, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's actually quite comical. Like, uh, and I just think that's an evolution of any, any trainer. I mean, 
I think this kind of goes into further our, the, our talking points is like, you know, in the very beginning, I think we're all very interested in demonstrating our knowledge and using big words and impressing clients of like our movement knowledge and like pointing out every nook and cranny that might be wrong with somebody. Whereas, you know, you get to a point where at the end of the day, like, does it really matter? Like, uh, you know, scapular, um, I might even be using the wrong verbiage, dyskinesis, like, you know, just scapular yeah. movement, you know, like yeah. assessing that, like, to me, I'm like, yeah, it's important to maybe look at that kind of things. If someone's currently in pain, sure. um, if they're not, then I'm not going to. And in, in, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had somebody come in to do an assessment with me and they'll, they'll wax poetic on how this trainer and this physical therapist XYZ said that they had scapular winging and this is the, this and that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe like, you know, I, I, I that's, you know, I, that's pretty, that's a pretty rare thing actually. Like, like, like true, true scapular winging is actually it's like a, a neurological, neurological issue. It's a yeah. neurological issue. Like I, I, not many people really have that. So, you know, a lot of times I can prove that they don't, they don't have it by a simple thing that I do. I won't go into details here, but I just tell them like, listen, like, yeah, I'm not saying they're wrong and that, you know, but I, I, I doubt it, but let's just show stuff. Let's just, let's just do stuff that I know you can do. And then we'll just go from there. You know, I think right. a lot of times, you know, when it comes to dysfunction or labeling dysfunction, dysfunction and assessing movement, there's normal variances in the population anyway. Like we are, we don't live in textbooks. Like, I don't understand right. why this has always been the metric. Like, you know, a textbook will tell you like ideal posture is this, and these are the optimal ranges of motion for the thoracic spine and any, you know, the scapular should upwardly rotate X degrees and yeah, stuff needs to move, but whether or not it moves 17 degrees as opposed to seven degrees, I mean, right. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I, yeah. I, at the end of the day, I, I just want someone to, to move their ass and like, and just get a little bit better <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, and I'm just making sure they're not doing it in a way that hurts and they're not like, you know, I don't want them to be uncomfortable, but you know, some people want to be told how dysfunctional they are. And like I'm just like, why? Like I've had people come in for assessments. Like I want you to put me under the full microscope and tell me everything that's wrong with me. I was like, number one, that's my, that's not my scope. Like, I'm not here right. to tell you, like, I can't do that. Like, I'm not here. Like, if you want me to look at your deadlifts and like, tell you, <laughs> I'm like, your how guy through that, like, yeah, cool. I, I'm, I'm, which inevitably is what they want to do, but, um, right, right. you know, but you know, I, I mean, I did, you know, complete shoulder hip blueprint with Dean. We've done two versions of that. I mean, mind you, we haven't updated it since 2018, but I know in version one, like I spent a lot of time talking about like, you know, assessing scapular upper rotation and watching people do like bringing their arms overhead. And you're what you're watching the the borders of the scapula. And I'm like that. Sure. That's important knowledge to know. Like, I think you should know, you know, scapular movement and what muscles are involved and what's doing what. And maybe like by by nature of like, you know, uh, trial and error, figuring out like maybe why somebody's shoulder hurts. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I think you know, it, 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 that probably, you're probably going too far. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, you, you're doing PT stuff like it, you know, that that's, and that's not, that's not my job. So right. Which, your, and, and that's such a massive, like it's a massive disservice to a client that's looking for fitness to give them physical therapy. Yeah. Ju like, and the converse is true as well. You ever, a, a term came to mind when you were talking just now, you ever hear of Kintsugi Japanese word? No. 
So it's it's the term for there's a specific type of, of of pottery that's really popular in Japan. But it's like you take this ceramic pot, you break it, and then you put the shards back together with molten gold. So it's this very interesting looking pot. But yeah. the the idea is the whole reason that it's beautiful, the whole reason it's coveted, is because it's broken. And uh-huh. when I when I think yeah. about things like scapular dyskinesia or like a foot pronation issue, is like. 99.999% of people have a thing going on, even if they're not overtly symptomatic. It's like they have some movement aberration. And I think the better way to think about people is as these aggregates of movement aberrations and I, I, or, or even just movement strategies, like deviations from the norm. And then from there, it's like, can we shift these broken shards of pottery around? Can we make a, a more cohesive pattern? But we're never trying to eliminate them. Like, you know, like the person that came in to see you and was like, pick, pick everything apart. You could have, you could have identified like 14, you know, probably uh, discrete yeah. movement. Yeah. And, and then like, then like, all right, so our job is to hunt these down and eliminate the, these. And maybe then your training starts. It's like, no, the training starts now. Like the training is the thing yeah. that we're doing now. Yeah, that's, you're, that's, you're Kintsugi. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I hate that approach where it's like, okay, you know, we're not, we're not going to load your, your squat until you can do. 25 perfect body weight squats. Well, well, I got to tell you, most people's body weight squats are awful. Uh, and they don't improve until you load them. <laughs> right. And, and like, we be, we be dismissing a lot of training if we waited until someone sh- demonstrated perfect movement, uh, according to a textbook, uh, that should not be our goal as, as health and fitness professionals. Um, th- uh, again, this is not to say we, we don't respect people's backgrounds and ability levels and and pain and you know whatever of course there's going to be a conversation on that stuff but i mean i've had clients come in who are runners and they're they're worrying about how much how much their knee is caving in on a lunge and i'm like and they're wearing kinesi kinesi their uh, kin tape and i'm like i'm like it's not a big deal like the knee's going to cave in a little bit like it's fine like yeah (laughs) like i mean you know that's just your ad like especially coming out of a squat they're like oh my knees are caving in i'm like yeah, but your adductors are kicking in. That's fine. You know, it's one yeah. thing if they're caving in a little bit and another thing if they're going into like full valgus like that, of course, we right. don't want to, we want to avoid that. But, you know, so I just think, I don't know, whether uh, may, whether people are too, um, you know, people, there's more information available now. So, you know, they can do, they can get on Google, they can get on Instagram and they can find, they can find what's wrong with them pretty easily. And, you know, and got, and maybe sometimes they've worked with somebody in the past that just really told them like, yeah, you're dysfunctional. This is bad. And, you know, your left, your left rib flare, we have to fix that. And I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm a scissors and canister guy, but I'm not, I'm not spending 20 minutes time doing breathing exercises with every client of mine. And you have a terminal left rib flare. Like I'm just, I'm all, I'm all for, you know, optimal pelvic and rib cage position for lifting heavy right. shit but um but it gets to a point where it becomes too much where it's like we're just doing all this correctively like wizard stuff um in, in lieu of actual training which i that becomes a problem and i, I know one totally. of the i might have preempted some one of your questions because i when i looked through the 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 bullet point what we wanted to cover that that to me is probably the part of the industry that i get frustrated with is like personal trainers and you know, people on Instagram just going too far into the weeds on like what optimal movement is. Um, I think I respect it. I think it's important to have the the knowledge of f- physiology and kinesiology and anatomy. But 
the end of the day, like you have to understand that everyone moves differently and everyone's body is different and leverages are different. And, you know, there's no, there's really no optimal or perfect or of anything. Like I, I'm actually all for asymmetrical loading. Like I'm like, load it fine. Like I'm actually, I actually tell a lot of my clients to, that have asymmetrical squat stances where, you know, I've seen this, they, yes. one, one foot is more externally rotated to the other. Maybe they're in a staggered stance. I'm like, Hey, if it feels better and it feels more powerful and it feels more stable, I've, I'm all for it. Like lean into it. Like, I don't think three sets of an asymmetrical squat is going to blow someone's spine up. Like I just don't. Right. Like, right. Like, I, I actually, I remember <laughs> I, uh, I commented, this is an Instagram post of yours, maybe two or three years ago, but I just thought it was such a, it was such an intuitive and effective idea. You had someone, I think they were doing, uh, doing a back squat. I actually think I know who the client was. Cause I think I trained her when you were out of town a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but you just had her take her right foot back and toe it out a little bit. And it was like, you did like a pick play post of what her squat looked like with like kind of a normal, you know, uh, like ideal stance and then what it looked like with this asymmetrical stagger way cleaner with the asymmetrical stagger. And it felt better. Yeah. (laughs) And and I, I think my, my, my comment was like, oh, like if you think about a traditional PRI pattern, like this would accommodate that. It's not, it's not the, it's not doing the opposite, which is what a lot of PRI drills are trying to do is like shift into the left hip. This is like, okay, your stuff's pointed to the right. Let's set your feet up to accommodate your stuff pointing to the right. And yeah. I just thought that was that was such a I'm like, oh, it like it can it can kind of be that simple. Like you don't have to identify someone as broken, asymmetrical, twisted. You you can internally say that and just say, step your right foot back. Does that feel better? Cool. Let's let's do that. Yeah. And that's like that's that's expert level coaching. And I think that's just to me, that's just sometimes people need to have he need to hear permission that it is yeah. okay. Uh, and, and if I give, and I, and I'm not saying I'm like an end all be all know it all coach, but if I, if I tell someone like, yeah, you know, let's, let's, let's do an asymmetrical stance and it feels better. Like, yeah, let's do it. Like, right. Sometimes people just need a little permission to say, oh, it's okay to do that. I don't have to have, you know, symmetrical stance, toes pointing forward, hip width apart. Right. For most people that feels like garbage. Like they're, it, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't feel good on their hips or knees yeah. or low back. So yeah. I'm like, okay, well. Again, going back to the the umbrella theme of this conversation, if I if, if a certain stance or load or whatever hurts, and I can make and I can alter that by saying, okay, maybe adopt this stance instead, and it doesn't hurt, then to me that's a win. Yeah, <laughs> and, train it, and, and I and I'm and I'm going to lean into that. So right. now, whether or not that has to be corrected, you know, I I might push back against that, but that that's to the the to the the physical therapists and the chiropractors right. and for them to ascertain that like i'm not that's not my role um yeah. but yeah i don't know if yeah that's i'm that that's a hill i'll die on i guess <laughs> yeah yeah no I'll, I'll, I'll join you on that hill that and attack of the clones is still not a good movie i don't know like <laughs> yeah but yoda you know <laughs> true yeah i get it like yoda lightsaber fight cool scene, i remember yeah, being cool in the th- and they have people stood up in the theater and, and and like clapped when yoda came out yeah yeah uh I, yeah. No, the, the the one thing I did want to um, put an exclamation point on, because you were talking about kind of like the client that comes in, it's like, pick me apart, tell me everything that's wrong with me, and how it's really easy for a person online to find out theoretically what might be wrong for them. I think the role of the expert in 2023, like the role of the expert coach or expert therapist is actually t- more often not telling people what isn't wrong, like like telling people not to worry about something. 
because it's like we live in an we live in an age of overly abundant information it's just it's almost like overly abundant food so the yeah. more useful thing is like well what foods are you not going to eat from a movement standpoint it's like what movement things aren't you going to care about they, they just don't matter that and much. i think there's you know to that point i think that it's nice to see like i you know there's some people who are more aggressive than others online on their messaging but you know, I've seen people in, in your realm who are on the PT side or the corrective side or the therapist side, you know, Adam Meekins, Craig Liebenson, uh, those type of individuals who are kind of in that camp. They're just like, eh, you know, you know, pain, pain's pretty complicated, but, you know, and, but, but to say like, you know, because someone demonstrates says looks like X means they're dysfunctional and they're broken or they shouldn't load it. It's false. Cause then right. I have, we have all this other anecdotal and evidence-based research that states otherwise so right. and i think that's that's a it's a nice shift uh in the industry that there's individuals like that whose job it is to be more hands-on and manual and you know and, and are able to do more of the corrective stuff just saying listen like i just think we need to train get people a little bit stronger um and a lot of stuff's probably going to fix fix itself despite all that anyway um you know, we, we know like with low back, for example, I mean, there's no one knows what the fuck causes low back pain, right? They don't. Right. Like, and, <laughs> and usually it ends up, it ends up resolving itself anyway. So most of the time, most of the time it's just, it's going to, it's just going to go away eventually. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, it isn't because they did, you know, this voodoo hip shift thing or they did deadlifts. It's like there's, the answer is somewhere in the middle, like it, like it always right. is. We will be back after this quick message. The biggest struggles trainers and rehab professionals have with building and scaling their online training programs, attracting remote fitness clients, and maintaining communication is having quality videos that provide exercise technique and coaching instruction. Well, now you can stop searching the internet. You will never find them unless you go to michellebowen-training.com for the best exercise database on the internet. Imagine all of the funny looks your programs get when clients are trying to figure out what an exercise on their training program is instead of having clear instruction. Gain access to over 1,500 exercise videos, coaching tutorials, and hundreds of positional instructional videos to send to your remote clients with the new digital format of the MBT exercise database. You will not find a contralateral reach walking lunge, a military crawl designed for posterior expansion, or a frontal plane hip shifting med ball slam on YouTube or anywhere else for that matter. The new database dropped in 2021 and hundreds of fitness and rehab professionals use it to easily build out their online training programs with built-in buttons to insert the videos into personalized training programs or to use videos to send to their rehab patients for at-home homework. The database will transform your training business by drastically improving scalability, improving communication with clients, and teaching them proper technique from afar. If you don't believe me, Dr. Pat Davison said, and I quote, this database is a goldmine for coaches who care about executing movements for athletes that can legitimately impact sports performance and health. 
So head over to michellebolin-training.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's just, it's nice to see that that messaging is getting out more where it's like, okay. Cause I mean, again, that speaks to my, more of my love language. It's like, let's get people training, right? Making it, you know, good training to me is, is less, you know, calling it corrective exercise or this or that. And it's just like, no, it's training. And, and I think people don't want to feel like patients when they work out with their coach or their personal trainer, or when they go to physical therapy, they don't want to feel like a patient. They want to feel like they're actually doing something. Um, right. And to me, uh, from a from a psychological standpoint, it, it's just it just makes a lot of sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think your other love language would be uh, Superman fan fiction, potentially. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. It's, it's barbells like or that top ten or something. <laughs> um, I want to be respectful of your time. So I want to wind us to a close here, but I I want to point you in one of two directions because I think we've been dancing around this trainable menu concept. And it's every time I bring it up in a post or in a podcast, I'm I'm always quick to credit you because I I just think it's it's such a valuable concept. I'm not one of those people I guess offended if I'm not tagged on something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I th- I think I think uh, under the umbrella of trainable menu, uh, you've said two things recently on your Instagram account. I would like you to pick one and elaborate okay. on it. So option one, you need to lift shit to fix shit. Option two, <laughs> easy training is good training. What oh, direction do you want to take? A, us that's in? a that's a tough one. Um, I think easy training is good training is a good one. <laughs> what does that because, mean? Because because that that sometimes gets like the 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 dog tilt that, that, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Easy. What do you mean? Easy training? Like what, what, what does that mean? Um, I have this conversation with a lot of clients. I'm a big fan of sub maximal training. Uh, I'm not someone that thinks, uh, well, first of all, I think most people get into, into trouble because they're always testing their strengths. They're always they're We, if not week by week or even session by session, they're always like, What's my one rep max? What oh, did I beat my numbers from last week? That is not the point of 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 training. You know, you want to see a, a trend of improvement, but not not session to session. It's just not going to happen. Um, yeah. And I think uh, I always tell my people this idea of eighty percent workouts. Uh, and what I mean by that is eighty percent of your workouts, you're just going to show up, get your reps in move on with your life, leave, and then come back. It's it's going to be a nothing burger. Like you're, you're just going to, it's nothing. Um, five to 10% of your workouts is probably more 5%. You're going to feel like a rock star. Those are the days where you go in, you're like, oh my God, like warm up weight feels like nothing. You know, work weight feels like nothing. That's when you want to test the waters and lean into it. Like you don't want to, um, if you have one of those days, you want to take advantage of it because they're so rare. <laughs> That's where you do. Oh yeah. Maybe I am going to like test my strength today and see like where my numbers are at. Um, right. And then the other, on the other flip side, five to 10% of the time, you're going to go in and feel like garbage. It's just like, whether it's, whether it's like jet lag or lack of sleep or, you know, a shitty day at work, you just go in and like, even, even like the reps, you know, you're supposed to hit relatively easily. Don't feel great. Um, and that's, that, that's the thing too. But I always tell people like where where you're going to make progress are those 80% workouts where you seemingly are doing nothing. You seemingly just go in, get your reps in and leave. That that is where you're going to make your progress because then it's just a matter of consistency. You know, easy training is good training. This is not to say that there is no grinding, there is no effort. Like 
people aren't questioning their choices and, and working with me. Like they are, wor- they are working hard. Like they're doing stuff they don't like to do and they're, they're getting after it. But I'm not, I'm not like demolishing them each and every session. You know, they, they, to me, if they leave a session feeling like they could do more, that is my goal. I want that. Cause that me tells me that they're probably going to recover and they're going to be able to come back the next day or the next day after that and get after it again, over and over and over and over again. And I, and when I, when I explain that to my newer clients, they're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, and sometimes they're mystified because they've worked with other trainers in the past that just like crush them every session. Like right. th- their whole MO is like, I don't want you walking out of this session, which I'm like, eh, I don't, I, I wouldn't agree with that. There, th- Yeah, sure. Sometimes that's the case, but that shouldn't be like a every session type of attitude. Um, right. Again, if my, if my clients, I've had clients say, you know, I say, okay, that's it for today. And they're like, really? That's it. I'm like, yeah, go leave. Bye. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Get on with your life. Yeah. Like you're fine. You did, you did some good work today. You're fine. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then their, their program reflects that each, each like they're going to be doing a little bit more work, whether it's more reps, more sets, more load. Um, I mean, but time and time again, I've, I've seen, just this idea of sub-maximal training working. Like I think if I can make someone's five rep max, their three rep, or their three rep max, their five rep max, meaning what they can do for three reps, eventually I get them, they, they can do it for five. And just by, just by proximity, their one rep max is probably going to go up anyway, you yeah. know, more often than not. Certainly once you get the more elite you get, that doesn't become the thing. But for, for the, for most of the general population that I'm training and working with, or even intermediate, like the intermediate lifters. If I if I say, listen, my goal is to okay, I'm gonna take what you can do for three reps, which is submaximal. So for three reps, we're talking anywhere from 80 to 90% of their one rep max. And then I'm gonna make it so you can make it so you can do that for five. And not only do that, but do it for multiple sets. Like your your one rep max is probably gonna go up anyway if if we decide right. to test that. Uh and if you look at most of the popular strength programs out there, like five, three, one the cube method. Um, I don't know, some of the other ones, like most of the work, the the meat and potatoes of the work being done is, is probably 75 to 85% of one rep max from, yeah. from most of those, but very rarely are they working up to 90, 95 plus of one rep max. Um, so, you know, when I, when I have this conversation with my clients that easy training is good training, that's what I mean. Yeah. And, and I think the corollary to that, to build up your like 80%, 10%, 10% stratification is like 80% of the time, you're not going to feel especially bad, but you're not really going to feel like training that much, but you do it. And you do it anyway. You just continue to build this muscle of like, I know that well, that's, this is that, thing comes, that, that comes down to intrinsic motivation. And that's where, that's where my wife comes into play. So, and that's where, I mean, that at the end of the day, when we talk about self-determination theory or the, you know, there's another more robust theory out there I forget, that, that involved intrinsic, extrinsic, et cetera. I, I can't, the, the name eludes me at the moment. But, you know, if you can get someone to the point where they are intrinsically motivated, meaning like training is kind of like part of their f- like fiber, like part of their, right. um, like their, their being, like, it's just like, cause you're right. There's, I mean, yeah, there's days I get up. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to go to the gym today, but I go and I yeah. get my reps in and I, you know, I move on in my life and you feel you know, better. I, I, I'm intrinsically motivated. That's just part, that's part of my daily ritual to go to the gym. Not daily. I go, I train four days a week. Um, 
But, you know, some people, you know, they're extrinsically motivated, which isn't a bad thing. It might be because their spouse is on them. Like, listen, your, your cholesterol is so high or your blood work came back. You need, you need to start training. You know, you're 40 pounds overweight or maybe they're extrinsically motivated because they're the type of individuals like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work out hard all week so I can, I can have my cheat meal on the weekends. That's, that's extrinsic motivation. There's an outside factor that's coming into play on why, why they exercise. Um, You know, when, when someone gets to the point where they're intrinsically motivated, that, that's kind of like the Holy grail. Um, and that, that's stuff that my wife can speak to way more because her expertise is in motivation. But, um, but that is, uh, I know I kind of went off the beaten path there, but that's, uh, um, but that's a whole nother you know, job as a coach is trying to figure out when, when you, when you're working with other clients, like some, you have to kind of find like where your clients are on this spectrum. Are they, you know, are they more intrinsically motivated, more extrinsically motivated? Okay. Well, if that's the case, like, okay, well, how can you tap into that? You know, when we, when we talk about improving people's motivations to work out, particularly working out while, while hurts, um, right. You know, that like going, going into the psychology of that is very, isn't a very important skill to have, um, you know, purchase psych skills for fit pros by Dr. Lisa Lewis. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I was just going to say, I, I think we should probably have Lisa on the pod this, this should. season. That would, that I would think be you should thing. like that. No, I, I for real. her, like she, she's to me is the go-to like psychologically mind. I mean, she's a doctor of psychology, but she's, right. she's a meathead. And she consults yeah. with gyms and trainers all the time. And she speaks to this stuff all the time. Um, she would absolutely be, could talk around pain and like, you know, For sure. all, all that stuff. But um, no, but I think where, where I was going with that uh, line or, or, or just kind of some commentary, this is something that really took me until I was probably 29 or 30 to, to realize about, especially like hard running, like, like track, like hard workouts, racing, that kind of thing is I, there's this notion that like, if you're going to do something strenuous, you better have eaten the right thing before, gotten a perfect night of sleep, have life yeah. stress. And it's like, when you do something long enough, eventually you start to have these days where it's like, you know, none of that shit's lining up, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And I think the more and, and more you okay. get into, yeah, the more and more you get into like adult life, not even talking about fitness, just adult life. It's like, there are way more days like that where it's like, I feel okay, but these few things really haven't gone my way, but I'm still going to keep plugging away. Yeah. And this is where like fitness becomes an excellent conduit for self, you know, self growth and like personal improvement is if you can just like put that away be like, no, I'm going to do whatever warm up I can. And I'm going to do whatever I can in the gym. I'm going to check that box. I'm going to move on talking about things from a chronic pain mindset. If you can, if I can get someone there, that is my massive win. Like that mm-hmm. is my barbell deadlift. If I could just get them in this mode of like, no, I train six days a week. Like I just, I, I, I and training might literally be like five minutes of breathing drills and holding a high plank and doing some foam roller wall squats. But it's like, yeah. cool, they trained, they got in their body. Yep. And that, that, that to me, is, yeah, like by definition is an 80% workout. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, they, that they're, they did something that, I mean, they, they got a, they got a stimulus of some sort <laughs> that's going to point them in the direction they want to go. Um, yeah. And that's always going to be, you know, you know, with, with easy training is good training. I mean, and to give credit where it's due, like that, it is a Dan John quote. Like he, I, I read right. it in one of his books, easy training is good training. And he had a very sage way of, of putting it. Um, I just, uh, when I explain it, I, I do it in the context of like, you know, yeah, training, training, like, as I said before, isn't, isn't supposed to tickle, 
Um, you know, this isn't to say that there's, there's, they're not working hard, but you know, to me, like very rarely is someone going to make consistent progress if they're just constantly training to failure and training to the point where they are, they're sore all the time or gauging progress by how sore they are, or they can't walk out of the gym. You know, I'm like, I don't know how long they're going to last doing that. So (laughs) this, this is why, like, I'm so vehemently against like pre-workout or, even like some of like the boot camp stuff where it's just like, we're going to blast music so hard and make the experience so crazy that we're going to take you out of your body. Cause I think yeah. that there's something really beautiful. Like I've had probably, I've probably worked out hundreds of times in your Brookline gym at this point. And it's like, I'm going to put some chill music on. I'm going to get like, I'm going to get my work in and then I'm going to go on with things. And I think you can get people to that point where they don't have to be at like 400% arousal to feel like they can then do something that looks like structured exercise, then it becomes a little bit more a part of them. And I think to build on something that you said before, like that's the conduit to intrinsic motivation is when a person starts to realize like they are, they are that behavior. Like they are a person who trains. Well, they're going to find that they sleep better, that, you know, maybe they feel less stressed or, you know, they're, they just feel happier. They, they, they're not as sore. Their joints don't hurt as much. Like they're, you know, when they, when they get to that point, you know, they have all these other uh, good things happening. Yeah. And they, they get that intrinsic motivation. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's, that's, that's the, that's the goal. That should be the goal for everyone. I mean, not everyone gets there. That's important to say is like, yeah, not everyone gets to that point. Um, and that's fine. You know, some people are still going to be the, you know, my, my whole goal of working out is to look good naked. Um, and that's that's my extrinsic motivation. That that's fine. I mean, and beat up every other dad in Julian's second. Yeah, of course. <laughs> What'd you say about my kid? Like, <laughs> like. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, I th- I think we are over time already, but I wanted to give you the floor to talk about. Like, you have some very exciting things coming up in 2024. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, the big project is my wife and I are opening a gym together. <laughs> So, uh, you know, what's nice about this is it's going to be unique. It won't be unique in the sense like, you know, there's going to be a, a, a personal trainer side where I'll be running my business. I'll be subleasing out to other coaches to run their business. Um, you know, and there's going to be another side that's going to be a treatment side. So there's going to be physical therapy clinic there. We're going to have massage therapist renting space. Uh, but my wife is going to be there too. So offering psychotherapy. So there, it's going to be called core collective uh, and it's basically going to be a one, one under one roof where you're, you're going to have access to good coaching, personal training, et cetera. And you're going to have access to nutrition, PT, psychotherapy, massage, um, all, all in Brookline slash Boston. Um, and that's going to, and the idea is like to, um, not only scale my business, of course, but to allow an opportunity for other coaches and practitioners to, you know, lean into their entrepreneurial uh, <laughs> endeavors and and to offer them a space where they can thrive uh, and grow their business, um, which I think is a, a underserved uh, component of the industry. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches out there that kind of get stuck in the commercial gym conundrum. Um, mind you, there are many that do that very well and are, are happy being there long term, but there are others that. You know, I think the holy grail in this industry is that you have to own a gym to be successful. Uh, and I would push back against that. Like, I don't think that's the case at all. And 
but it, it does offer, you know, certainly when you're self-employed, that, that comes with its advantages. But some people don't have the means to make that jump and say, right. okay, I'm going to leave right. and just open up my own space. I want to provide that space. Um, you know, and I like the idea of, of camaraderie, having a bunch of coaches in the same space, coaching their clients at the same time and running ideas off each other. Hey, what did you check out this thing? Or did you read this article? You know, I, you know, I have a, this issue with my client. What do you think I, I should be doing? Like, I, I love, I actually miss that the most by not being at Krusty Sports Performance is not having access to that. So yeah, um, that's, that's the type of environment that I'm, I'm um, excited to build uh, at this, at this new larger space. Well, I, I can tell you if I was still a resident of Boston, neighboring Brookline, and I would be <laughs> yeah. a, among among the first applicants to, to see folks there. Where can people uh, find out more about Core Collective? Um, my my uh, website would be the best part. So TonyJohnCore.com. So that, that is my blog and there's my contact information on there, social media. Um, but if there are any trainers or practitioners who you know i mean we've we've spoken to some that are out in la that are interested in, in just relocating in boston so um you know but we we definitely we're not slated to open until uh late q1 so um i'm certainly open to speaking to other candidates who might be interested in growing their uh, business here so that would be the easiest way to get a hold of me I, th- I think this might sneakily end up being a really good avenue for that because I think probably Great. 90, 99% of the audience is either physical therapist or coaches. Have them reach out for sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, if knowing that your audience is likely the type of individuals who are incorporating the gym as part of physical therapy, because that will be the goal is like PTs would have their own separate room to have a little privacy, but they will be encouraged to come out on the gym floor and provide therapy on the gym floor. Yeah. So you know, yeah. that that's the type of vibe that I'm after, you know, we'll all be listening to like Wu-Tang and, you know, getting after it. So <laughs> I always prefer I always preferred the techno days when I walked in and well, it was like, like it could, was some techno. Can, could, I could, we can make that happen on Tuesdays again. I'm not I'm not opposed okay. to that either. Well, I'll be sure to drop <laughs> it on a Tuesday. Yeah. All right, man. Um, really appreciate your time. Any uh, any closing thoughts? Anything else? No, you thank you for a, a lovely conversation. I think this is an important conversation and hopefully people make it all the way through (laughs) right on all right thanks again man all right man if you're enjoying what michelle and i are putting together here we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on your pod player of choice reviews help us climb the rankings which improves our ability to help more coaches and therapists continue to push our industry and knowledge base forward the intro and outro music for More Train, Less Pain was produced by Jacob Azurdia. You can find out more about his music by visiting his Instagram page, J underscore Z-U-R-D-I-A. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.